As part of the X-Men brings us in, welcome to the Thursday Night Comic Book Chat presented by Brothers Comics. Uh, I am your host, the producer. Uh, as we walk you through classic X-Men stories linked from the current book or the past books to the current continuity. On the line tonight, we are one mutant short because of <laughs> an arachnid spider movie. Uh, the Sandman cannot join us tonight. So tonight, it is my other mutant. It is Brother Beaver. Hey, what's up? Yes. Yes, uh, Sandman is out uh, as we speak, even though he's currently texting us um, <laughs> through our group text chat. Uh, he has seen Spider-Man in approximately 15 minutes, uh, so he will definitely be back next week to give us his review of the uh, of Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, he's got to see it. He's got to see it three times, though, before. Yes, he... exactly. <laughs> and that's what we established <laughs> last week on this podcast. If you don't show up. You will get clowned. So, <laughs> there may be some, there may be some Sandman jabs, and we know you listen, Sandman, when they're posted. So, uh, uh, apologies are are headed up front. Uh, so that's that. Have you um, have you made your plans and arrangements for Spider-Man: Homecoming, sir? Yeah, I think we're going tomorrow afternoon, and so okay. there's a uh, there's like a cinema that around us that nobody goes to. So I'm counting on. <laughs> You know, I was I considered going tonight, um, but the upcharge for an evening movie and and it wasn't even in three D as it was just like the upcharge on Fandango. I don't know, it was gonna be way too much. And so I was like, you know what, I'll catch that matinee tomorrow morning. Um so Sandman's gonna send out, you know, what he thought of it anyway at ten thirty or, you know, at one o'clock this tonight. I'm gonna turn my phone on vibrate and um, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. I mean, you know, are you all taking the your kids to it? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah it's Me. fine. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they're spider people. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I just watched. Saw... Go ahead. I found Solar Woman. Oh, okay. Well, let's do that here before we jump into the X Men. Sorry, X Men people. All right, how, what would you think of Wonder Woman? I thought it was good. I mean, I think I think they the the best part about it is the the casting, and they got her so good. The one thing, you know, because I, I feel like it's my obligation to hate on stuff, and I was thinking about this today, like, <laughs> the one thing I would say is they they didn't really have to do a tremendous amount of world building. I thought, mm-hmm. like, Themyscira was a little bit thin because they were just about fighting, um, mm-hmm. and, and they told all the story about the Greek gods and whatever. And then, sort of, when World War One is your is your world, uh, then you didn't have to do a lot of world building. So maybe right. that allowed them to focus on the characters. But she was just so good. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was it was a good movie. It was an enjoyable movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. Uh, I mean, I think it you know it was good, not great. Um, I've always felt that the casting of her has saved whatever good was in Batman versus Superman was saved with her, and then this movie is built on that. I I, I still feel that Steve Trevor was in it way too much. Um. Mm-hmm. I just I and the Howling Commandos and all the stuff for that looked hmm. like the Avengers or, or Captain America First Avenger. Yeah. I was just was like, man, y'all could have probably went a different way with that. But you know, well, it was World War One instead. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But beyond that, I, I I you know I thought it was good. It'll probably be something I add to the collection at some point in time. But uh, yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Yeah. See inside man tomorrow. So we'll have those reviews up probably for the next. Uh, Thursday Night Comic Book Chat. But Thursday Night Comic Book Chat is focused on the X-Men this week, and we are focused on our story that's coming up called Fall of the Mutants. Um, 
Now, this is a storyline that I remember not reading as a child because I think it came out as a time where I was not in actively reading comic books. Um, I was probably chasing a girl or two, and, you know, we had to hide that geekdom. Uh, but it's something that I would come back to later on when I started collecting again uh, as a story. It was like, oh, man, okay, because it leads to another storyline of the X-Men. And spoiler alert, because the books are 20, 30 years old, you know, where the X-Men wind up in Australia. So, I mean, Brother B is somebody who's visited Australia before. Um, <laughs> what did you think of Follow the Mutants? So uh, this is another story that I read in reverse on Back Issue. Um, and it was like my storm hate, as we've talked about through the <laughs> last year, was strong. The, this is a pretty story. And so mm-hmm. I've placed a lot of, like, significance on it, other than, like, what the outcome is and how it starts sort of the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um so I is was not my favorite crossover. I would okay. say. Yeah. yeah, on the reread or whatever, I never I, I never placed so much or I never I guess saw the emphasis that was so placed up on I guess it's the trickster and mm-hmm. uh the Roma, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing here. We're gonna get into that very quick here. Uh I didn't I didn't see it as much then. I kinda focused primarily on the stuff that's happening in Dallas. And the mm-hmm. aftermath of that, and right. you know, as you and go the, back through the book, go ahead. And the role of you know just exactly what is you know Storm and Forge, because it yeah. seems like they were just sort of shunted out of the story as a means to get her powers back, when it's mm-hmm. actually that's part of the game that he's playing. Right. Yeah, and and it, it, it's a and again we talked about this on the podcast last week that this is a story that they laid out back in like one. 80 something like mm-hmm. this is playing out you know when they're fighting the dire race it's just like man this is a payoff of a long time ago like i mean really and it's a claremont special original to be doing things like this uh there was a, a writer that i follow on twitter uh i think it's at alex segura he's a he's a writer of books or whatever he also writes archie on the side and he had I had posted like the podcast or whatever. And, you know, he is like, Hey, you know, I'm reading back of these books now and I'm listening to your podcast. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. He's like, you know, Claremont is a genius at setting these things up so far in advance. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, this is a payoff of a story that started in the one eighties. Um, that's going to go all the way through here. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. So this first book is called, and of course, as soon as we get started, my app goes, Goo This is the Mark Silvestri book. Yes. False Dawn. It starts off with Colossus um, drawing in Edinburgh, Scotland. It's not Edinburgh. I know it's Edinburgh now. I wonder why. And um, they, he's there in Scotland recovering. I, wait, from- Colossus has never seen long in his life, to my knowledge, other than if he, he was watching him on TV. Colossus <laughs> was never on a team with half of these people. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw that out there. Yeah, noted. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that, but yeah. So yes, Colossus is drawing uh, one of his favorite pastimes. He says he's not very good at it, but it looks pretty good to me. Or maybe it's Sylvester. Anyway, he draws um, just as good as Mark Sylvester. It's amazing. He it does. It's amazing. And so he's there. He gets accosted by some children, and again, children in comic books never really works out very well. And, At least didn't um, put in those Japanese kids again. Just randomly. Yeah, well, you know, they have. They are world travelers. How many? How many miles do they 
collect. And um, he, uh, they reenact the battle that he's drawing with Juggernaut, which happened in a few is- issues prior with uh, Dazzler or whatnot. I mean, it's just like kind of a setup for this to introduce Roma into the book. Now, Roma gives him a chess piece that looks like him uh, with some draws on it, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and basically says to him, you know, what you're doing right now isn't very helpful. You need to go back and help your team. And uh, Colossus is going through a lot. Like I said, he cannot change back to his human form. Be uh, uh, Again, it's a fallout from the battle with the Morlocks uh, in the Mutant Massacre. Uh, I know this is Big Hutch's favorite character. This is Colossus getting much more fleshed out than he had in the past. What do you think about, you know, kind of emo Colossus? He's always been yeah. emo, though. You know, here's a case where I think this is true with Rogue as well. When when the team is now weakened by the roster changes, you have sort of the characters that have been around longer just sort of become more of the focus, more stronger, just sort of by default. And yeah, we get to see a little bit more of what there is, you know, not just a guy who punches the people, you know, a little bit more than him, and start to think about him other than in the context of Kitty's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. And again, his character arc, too, as he has pulled himself away from the team, he's actually become somebody who, and it will play out in the books here, somebody who who's gives a little bit less of a fuck. Um, You know, he was way too much into his feelings about doing certain things, but now that he's been kind of hurt emotionally through this situation with Kitty, but also physically in this matter with the Morlocks, now he's like, uh, I don't care. If you mess with the X-Men, you're going to mess with me. I will punch you, and I will kill you, and I will do these types of things. He's been much more hardened over the course of time. Yeah, I think he, he, he snatches Spiral up. (laughs) <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, he does grab her by the neck quite a bit here. Uh, the fact that his power gets activated by a firecracker is kind of funny too. But whatever. Yes. But yeah. So Roma's there, and then we get this whole exposition with her and the trickster playing like chess, essentially with um, you know, with pieces of you know of the heroes and uh, and antiheroes of Freedom Force and whatnot. You know, again, depending upon how you felt about Naze and would depend on how much you feel care about this story about Fall of the Mutants, you know. And I was done with Naves with the Dire Rapes, to be honest with you. And the fact that they draw this out over all these books or whatever, it was really just kind of like, it, you know, you're better on the history part of this than I am. You know, what was it, there's going to pay off with the X-Men getting pulled out or whatever, but mm. is the what was the point of having this whole thing anyway? That, yeah, in, in my in regards, like what was going on in the comic book that they felt that they had to pull the team completely out of the mainstream continuity, essentially. You know, as I look at, I almost read this whole story arc as as maybe this maybe there was a thought of hey maybe Chris Claremont's done with the X Men, mm-hmm. and maybe since he was writing, so this is really like Excalibur starts on the heels of this. He was already writing mm-hmm. New Mutants. I almost wonder, and I want to see how many like guest writers we have on the back end of this. If this, if there was a thought that maybe this was somebody else who's going to take over the book, mm-hmm. because they do a lot through here to like, you know, they sort of they 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 have the opportunity to get over the hump of everybody hates mutants. They mm-hmm. set up a new beginning for the team. I almost thinking that this was supposed to be not necessarily the end of the X Men, but the end of Chris Claremont's arc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it just. 
and you know, and there's a whole line in here too when we get over to to the whatever Forge Plaza that mm-hmm. you know when it starts fighting again, it's like, yep, well, we're all alone. They got the other heroes on standby. They're just they're assessing yeah. the situation. I'm like, wait, what? There's a whole freaking sky opening in Dallas, and the Avengers and Fantastic Four is like, meh. You got a hair appointment. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. So um, I was just like, why? why? You know, and they set this up too, you know, and again, we're, I'm jumping ahead. You know, the the world has just seen the X-Men sacrifice themselves to save everything and everybody. But when they come back, it's like, yeah, nah, I still hate them. <laughs> yeah, like, more so than visual, ever. Yeah, more so than ever. I still hate them. So it's like, man, whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So Colossus is... We should mention it. that uh, a couple side notes. Uh, in the chess pieces that they're playing with, those terrible bird snake things, from yeah. the earlier episode, those those they are chess pieces. Yeah, Aww. they've they've already been knocked over appropriately, but yeah. Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the, right you know, the whole thing with Nays, like I, you have to read pretty closely to actually figure out what's going on, and it's for you know for Forge's role, like you would think for as much as Forge has been featured here over the loss of Storm's powers in this, that he would be a much more prominent character going forward. But he sort of fades away from this point. I mean, he's yeah. in books, but this is sort of it for him. Um, mm. you know, he, I guess maybe he defeats his adversary, and that's what he had to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I think we'll see, like, Storm was all in love with him when he was the last man on Earth. Uh, yeah, but that that was pretty much the the extent of their relationship. So. Well, and yeah, and we'll get that to the next issue. Uh, the notes I have, but it's also you're talking about this story with Naze and Roma and mm-hmm. Naze's um, and Forge's history attached to his time in Vietnam or whatever. This is some peyote type stuff here too. Yep. Like, I mean, you got to really be paying attention to be trying to figure out about the lost souls and the spell that he opened up in Vietnam. I'm just like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, what's this got to do with the X-Men? Um, you know, and I know like as a story or whatever, it's, um, you know, it's, it's well received, you know, it's something that people collect well, uh, much so on trade paperbacks, even if you don't read the crossover books with the new mutants and then we're going to jump to the, um, to, uh, X factor here in a little bit, but, like, I mean, this is well-received. Like, if you go someplace, you know, people hold this in high high regard. And I think the things that come out of it, like, on the back end of it, are actually something that is actually probably better for the X-Men, at least in terms of the books, after they get sent to Australia than it is that leads up to it. I mean, that's just my mm-hmm. opinion. So, yeah, um, yeah they're yeah, okay, completely so, disorienting up this because they're still picking up the pieces of me and Massacre. And the people they have on the team, they're largely because – they don't want them to be on their own because they're afraid they'll get killed. Yeah. And so we, they've got a few issues to get themselves sort of established. Um, but this becomes sort of the core team for, you know, some stretch of the books. Yeah. And it's, a, I mean, and it's, once they get sent out to Australia, it's a, it's a control alt delete reset, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what the book deals with, in terms of the people that they're fighting. Like, it's like, it's, it's completely kind of, you know, the book and the team are kind of off the radar. Um, literally and figuratively. Um, mm. All right. So Colossus gets uh, angry because yeah. he can't change back and he can't that, – that, that's a pay phone for you young readers. Google it. And, There's um, a picture here, right? 
Silver ink on the page. Which no, your phone broke up there for a second. Try oh, that again. Sorry. I was saying there's a there's a there's a panel right when they switch back to Colossus, um, mm. like bottom left where it's a close up on his face, and there's like no silver ink on the screen, but it looks silver. It's amazing to me mm-hmm. what you know the, the some of the art, just the medium of comics. It's amazing mm. sort of what can be done. I did that picture yeah. just strikes me. Right. Yeah, well, he still can't call out yeah. his payphone. Still no. Colossus. He can't fit in. Yeah, he's still Colossus. Yeah. and But he does have a sister who can uh, time jump. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure why he didn't think of that before. But, um, yes, yeah, so he calls Magic. Magic um, It's going to wind up time shifting him to Dallas where the rest of the X-Men are. Um, I mean, their relationship has always been their relationship. Uh, I saw somebody post something today after it was another casting for the New Mutants movie, and it was like Fox is still not too late to cancel that New Mutants movie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah retweet. Um, so <laughs> just to let y'all know, it's, it, it's okay if you don't do it. Uh, it's funny yeah. in the in those books. Like I've been trying to read just to, because the stories are so intertwined. I've been trying to start to stay current with them. It's amazing the degree to which she's just a story device to them because she can do anything. Yeah, and she's, yeah, she just like she just moves the plot along with all her random powers. And you spin that forward. Uh, name a name a new mutant that anybody gives a damn about now. I mean, besides magic. I mean, really. Uh, I mean, Cannonball had a run there in the nineties mm-hmm. that people might have cared about, but beyond that, yes. I mean, really, nobody cares. They all just sort of faded away, like Sunspot, Moonstar, Karma. Yeah. They all just sort of faded away. Yeah, when they made Gen X, then it was just like, well, these are the new new mutants. So, but then, think, we're getting off topic here. Think about how fucking the new Generation X sucked, too. The people that were in that. It was Husk. uh, What, Monet, I think, is probably the most uh, famous one of the bunch of them. What, Chamber? I mean, Jubilee. Yeah, yeah. because uh, skin skin was around, and then Sync was like the the black guy died. Of course, he was like one of the cooler ones. Yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. They never they should stop trying. Anyway, um, so back in Dallas, um, they have they they've been tracking Storm because she's still been on her vision quest with um Forge, but as a part of that vision quest in the episode that we had skipped. You know, uh, she had finally confronted Forge and um, attempted to stab him. Well, actually, didn't attempt. She did stab him in the heart. Mm-hmm. But in this uh, in this world that the trickster has created, he's basically put them into a parallel earth, and they are walking the earth in you know kind of biblical god types of time um, in terms of like, hey, I was gone for a year. You know, it was like three panels. You know, um, it's really you know kind of weirdy, kind of trippy stuff. But the X-Men are tracking her, and they tracked them all the way back to Forge Plaza. I can't ever call I keep wanting to call it Freedom Plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole thing where uh, X, uh, Wolverine, the team has to fight Wolverine uh, or the defense systems to get inside the building. And then when they finally do come outside, they're confronted by Freedom Force with their new people that we introduced in the last podcast. With Stonewall, Crimson Dynamo, Crimson Commando. Crimson Commando, Super Saver. Yeah. Avalanche spiral, spiral yeah. for some reason. Yeah, and then we have this battle like out in the plaza. 
Now, if you remember the X-Men under Claremont, um, they do not do well in first battles with new foes, but this isn't their <laughs> first battle with them. This is their second battle. This is this book is probably most known for Blob sitting on Wolverine or, and <laughs> falling on him. It's a great scene. It's well drawn. The 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 plop itself, the his face and Wolverine's incoming face are genius. I mean, yeah. this is Sylvester at his finest. Absolute genius. Um, yeah, and you know, the fight that's going to come from there and out of this, um, you know, it's you know, it's just standard comic book stuff. Anything of this stand out to you? Yeah, the the thum was the sound of Blob landing on Wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> he's, like, uh, he's not dead. I feel him wiggling under me. <laughs> yeah, a great line too. <laughs> There's a uh, you know the old guy Super Saber still gets some offense against Dazzler. Dazzler, you know, it, it is is effective, but then gets taken out, you know, super easy. Longshot is still the Nightcrawler, the X Man, and they're trying to tease mm-hmm. this story with him and Spiral. Yeah. Uh, Destiny goes ape shit. Psylocke still gets a pretty heavy push, although mm-hmm. she gets a chop right in the neck, knocked out. Yeah. And then yeah, the claws in the butt, and then Colossus teleporting in. And getting the glory mm-hmm. shot, yep. It's, yeah, it's a good, fight. good classic X Men fight. It's a good classic fight. When when uh, if you see the panel there, when Dazzler does get knocked out and she falls to the ground, she's all face down, ass up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like mm, I see you, Sylvester. Yeah, I mean it. It really is just a standard fight. Destiny, though, however, is seeing something about the X Men and their future, which that they don't have one. And, you know, she says anybody that's stuck in Forge Plaza is actually going to be dead. There's no future for them at all. Um, and she takes her mask off. This is new with Destiny wearing that gold mask, right? I, I'd never seen it before. Uh, I think she wears that. Um, I don't know that it, I've seen it that featureless, but I think that's that's normal. Okay. Yeah, um, so, yeah, that... That's it. There's a point here where Mystique gets knocked out after she tries to play uh, Storm's role uh, as she shapeshifts into Storm. She gets taken out by her daughter, Rogue, um, and they're both kind of knocked out of that situation. And the book ends, 225 ends in a, um, like with the sky in Dallas opening up, like with this big mm-hmm. old light thing. A beyond the you know, light. Yes. And uh, don't say it. <laughs> Can't mention that name on this podcast. And, um, uh, you know, it's a it's a good setup book. You know, uh, and then again, this is we talked about this a little bit as Sylvester has gotten going. Like he's hit his stride here. Like dude is an excellent artist. Like I mean, he's he hits his stride here in these books, and then he hits an even better stride actually once they get to Australia or whatever. But um, he's in a good he's in a good run here. Um, Two twenty six is called what is this one called? Uh, this is one of those. Oh, go tell the Spartans. There it is. Go tell the Spartans, and it opens up with Wolverine healing. Now, again, uh, movie Wolverine and comic book Wolverine, especially this version of comic book Wolverine, takes forever to heal. Um, you know, and they're talking about his body stitching itself back together, and it taking him such time. Whereas in the movies, I mean, he's, he heals instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolverine is the leader of the X Men at this point too, since Forge has been on her Vision quest. Um, you know, he's going to make some pretty major decisions here for the team, you know, kind of spoiling ahead moving forward. What, what do you think about Wolverine as the leader of the team, especially in this dire situation? Yeah, you know, uh, anytime 
I think about Wolverine as the leader, I have to think about X-Men The Last Stand. And, <laughs> and so then I get angry. And uh, then I have to go, like, get my Cyclops figure out and go, like, huddle in the corner. Until I'm yeah, it's it, it because it's like he is gone. Wolverine has gone to, like, every length possible to not be leader of the X-Men. And, like, at this yeah. point, he's like, well... The rest of the team has it surprised he didn't like try and make Colossus the leader as soon as he showed up. Yeah. But yeah, he's you know, he's uh he finally steps up and yeah, he's he's pretty cutthroat, but it's sort of cutthroat times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he 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 does bring the tactics and you know, he does he does do his thing, but you can you know he kinda is just waiting for somebody else more qualified to come along. When I yeah. started, I read this, I'm like, I this, to me, I like I finished the last one, I picked this one up, and I'm like, did I miss something? Why, why is this mm. picking up here? But yeah, mm. I, I I like I, I like the fact that he defers to like, hey, look, we're all gonna die here, so you want to come, you can. If you yeah. can, you know, whatever. Nigga. If you want to, you can. If you can, you you know. And I was like, you know, that's kind of cool. I thought, like, for him, you know, at least he didn't be like, you know, y'all are some punks, you need to go and do it. You know, I think as a as a story arc for that character, he's done a good job of evolving into this. Um, this book, however, you know, kind of continues the battle with Freedom Force, even though we got some people inside the building now and some people out. The other B-plot that's going to spin through this one and to, through 27 is that the reporters that are there reporting on this incident um, – one is anti-mutant, and then the other one is very pro-mutant. And you kind of see a lot of the story, especially in the next issue, play out through the eyes of the pro-mutant um, reporter who's you know kind of documenting what the X-Men are going through. Um, Did you know this is actually a guy? Neil no, Simon, who is that? A real person. Oh, is it really? Neil yeah. Simon? Who, like the yeah, writer? Not, Neil not Simon? The, yeah, not the... Uh, not the uh, not the musical artist from Simon and Garfunkel, <laughs> but he's a yeah he he actually was a he's a he was a, a person he was a friend of Claremont. Okay. He's depicted no, in this book. Not. Okay, I, I did not know that because I okay. was trying to I was like this has got to be something. I mean, right? Uh, is it Neil Simon or Simon Neil? Uh, I think it's Simon yeah, Neil, I'm not maybe. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, I was like, this guy's supposed to be somebody, or is this in the book or whatever? But yeah, he's actually a guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did not know that. And that sounds very Claremont-esque, by the way, uh, having listened to him talk. Um, yeah, outside of the plaza, the uh, Dazzler wakes up. And this I have this as my note here from reading this book when I was a kid or younger or whatever. The thing with Spiral and Dazzler where she puts destiny's mask on her and sticks the the sword through it and it sticks to her face that scared me as a kid like when i read that when i was younger i was like man i I skipped over reading that spiral is a scary character like because she looks scary she's drawn scary even though she's kind of hot now as an older person and like but that scene like kind of freaked me out a little bit did that like kind of throw you off when you read it backwards it is not clear now that serves. They almost set it up like the fact that she can't see after right Madeline Pryor in the story, but that's really not the case. And yeah. so it was just kind of like, well, they just they fucked Dazzler in this story just 
to make Spiral look good or tell a story about how the chaos magics were unraveling or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really it's really weird. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it, it was just a weird scene, too. And you jumped ahead with Madeline Pryor, and I'll hold it off here for a little bit. But as a part of that, the book jumps back in back with Storm and Forge, who, again, they're on a parallel earth. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Okay, because he's created, uh, the trickster has created an earth for them um, as a, a, really as a prison. And that you know that they're they're there together, but the this earth is it's, I think um storm says that it's soulless like you know it's it's all messed up like this it looks like it's the same, but it's not the same, and you know, and it takes them time to figure this out, but also the time things are there because she goes off and she's gone for a year, he's there being able to make stuff with his mutant power still, and it doesn't take him long. they go from like the stone ages to like the industrial, like it just goes by really, it's weird though, right? Like when you're reading this, it it, re, it, it reads weird, doesn't it? Yeah. And be, you know, in the stone age and stuff is when you go back to, to Dallas and now you have all these times collapsing on each other. Yeah. It's, I think the plot is that he's sort of creating this world and giving them the opportunity. And so they're ready to do this with that and give them a chance to make a new one. But yeah, it gets very weird. Um, yeah. It just becomes like this brawl with all these characters, and it's really kind of hard to follow what's what's actually going on with Storm. And I, when I read it in the day, I just sort of disconnected from that piece until they were back in the middle of it. And, and yeah. it makes the end sort of pointless. So, <laughs> Well, it is, because now we're going to get all of these drop-ins with like Dinosaurs, yeah. Neanderthals. Did you um, know there was a game, a video game for this? No. Yeah. What? So yeah, there was like a in, I guess, 80s. It was basically as I so I played it and it's not great, but you I had bet. like you had to pick like two characters at a time, which is kind of the way the story goes, and you had to go through all these screens. And you had to find, like, three members of Freedom Force, but you would go onto a screen, and it would be, like, this random, it might be dinosaurs, it might be cowboys, it might be Indians, just like the story. Yeah. Uh, and I never got to, like, once you did that, then you had to go do something else, and I never got past that. But yeah, there was a, there was a before, like, even really the rise of consoles, there was actually a X-Men video game for Fall of the Mutants. What, what gaming system? Or like on tabletop. See? It was on what? Hello? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, your phone's dropping in and out there, Chief. Are you plugged in? Uh, No, I'm not. But no, maybe plug in. But yeah, it was just on a PC. It wasn't console. Oh, okay. It was just on a regular computer. Okay. Wow. No, I definitely... Yeah, that'll be to the internet after <laughs> the end of this podcast. To the internet. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, back inside Forge Plaza, um, the X-Men and Freedom Force have decided to team up because if the world's going to end, we got a better chance of fighting it together as opposed to uh, fighting each other. And Mystique has agreed to pa- agreed to this as well. Um, I've, this, and this is kind of doing current continuity and this uh, 
Like, Mystique is almost a redeemable character in this arc here. Her ascension to Freedom Force uh, actually um, put her in a, in a different position, especially after this X-Men thing here where she started, at, at least in theory, questions what she's doing. Um, whereas now, like, I mean, she's like an irredeemable character, like, completely, and can't, you know, it, it just, you know, it's changed so much, and I... I I kind of like, you know, kind of going through the books, it'll be interesting to see where we see that chain where she finally is like, you know what, I'm evil, um, and we're just going to stick with that and roll with it. Um, you know, any thoughts on Mystique from when she started up to this point? Yeah, I think the connection to Rogue is largely what's, uh, you know, causing this conflict for her. And uh, I know, like, fast way forward, I think she's like sort of in the second wave of X Factor. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, she she I think her days of being like the hardcore supervillain are somewhat behind her at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, such a great character design, by the way. I hate that they yeah. ruined it with um, the you know yeah. the making it more like the movie one. But it's such a great character design. Um, yeah. So uh, again, the, the story with the reporters is going on as well. They have to rescue the little children as well, which is bullcrap. I mean, it's everybody's just the the city is going nuts, basically, with all these people here. And there's going to be a scene here coming up soon that I'm sure that you read it and you were like, oh, I know he's going to say something about that. Um, But, yes, like Wolverine is just, you know, hacking and slashing. And, again, he's allowed to do this in these books against savages and barbarians and whatnot. But, you know, the, the overall purpose of the book is really kind of giving the big the the Bengals, giving the X Men a chance to shine. <laughs> okay, I know giving the X Men a chance to shine in a national audience. You know they've been brought up to Monday Nitro. You know and have gotten a match. You know in the second hour of the show. You know and it, even though there's some commentary by the you know the anti mutant reporter that's over there too. There's an equally given side that you know, hey, you know, like these people are doing something that nobody else is doing, and they deserve the same amount of hero credit that the other heroes get, even though you know everybody hates them. I mean, and that's you know that's basically the the story of the from the reporter's side. I'm gonna skip over this stuff with Storm Forge because it's just nuts. And then um, we've talked about how like heavy-handed the mutant side of the story has come, and this really could have been a chance to leave that behind. Yeah, like look, they've sacrificed just as much. They've been as big a heroes. Let's let's forget about that whole discrimination piece of this. But yeah, exactly. And they and they can. I mean, we talked about you know we said that with X Men Blue and Gold or with Gold or whatever. It's just like man, y'all still running this out there. It's like it should be over with by now. Um, but whatever. Uh, Havoc gets a chance to give a great speech here. And even Havoc, from when we started this, when he joined, like, I guess a podcast ago or maybe two podcasts ago, he's gone from, like, eh, you know, you know, whatever, uh, not really all that secure about my place here, to being really the vocal voice of of the X-Men. You know, he's the one that's out in front talking about what's going to happen, what they're going to do. He's the one that's jumped in front of the camera. I mean, it's, like, really quick. And you mm-hmm. see the leadership qualities that you're going to see when he does take over X Factor in about five years. And, you know, I mean, like I said, we, we, we make fun of his costume or whatever, but, I mean, as a character over itself, you can see how people prefer Havoc to Scott, especially now because he actually has a heart and he cares and he didn't leave his mom and his ca- and his, <laughs> his baby mama and his child, you know, so he can go running off with his, his, his ex-boo. 
but you know, what about havoc in this issue? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. He, you know, was reluctantly drawn into this. Um, he's had this heartbreak of Polaris leaving, and he actually starts to sound like a Summers here. Mm. Yeah, he he reminded me of when I was reading this. He reminded me of like the Hawkeye that we get. Yeah. Like, Thunderbolt Hawkeye. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that Hawkeye where they were like, hey, you know what? This dude ain't just a dude that shoots arrows. Let's right. give him a push to a leader, a leadership role. And that's what I was like. I was reading. I was like, man, this sounds a lot like freaking uh, that kind of Thunderbolts Clint Barton. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that Clint Barton is awesome. You know, not that's the really sucky one that we have in the movies. You know, not the sucky ones that they gave us in the movies. Not that he sucks so bad, but, you know, he's in clear sidekick mode. Where no, like Hawkeye is just as freaking awesome as Captain America in terms of his leadership ability, uh, but we just don't get a chance to see that in the movie. Um, so yeah, so he tells everybody off. Um, there's that scene where you said that Colossus yoked up. His <laughs> 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 spirals trying to get the mask off. Let me just give it one little. T- oh wait a minute, no, it's not working. My bad. And Cyclops yoke or Cyclops Colossus yokes her is, up. Is this the Lando line? It's not my fault. <laughs> is that? It could be not what he says to Chewbacca. Yes, it's not my fault. Yeah, yes, he does say that. Uh, there's a strong possibility that that is the Colossus li- or the Lando line. Uh, hold on, my app went crazy. God darn it! In your phone and my app. Yeah, my phone and your app. Well, uh, oh, I'll save you. So there's a, there's a page of of storm coming up. Uh, so you know that's blah blah blah. And then I think we're coming up to the the scene that you were interested in talking about. Yeah, I mean I have it as a note here. Right? I just want to make sure that I give it. It's just ridiculousness. Um, you know, I think I, we talked about um, you know the the Iceman and Kitty Pride and the and the, the the side N word, you yeah. know. I, I, what I you talking about? A, I don't know what, 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 what are we talking about? I don't know. That's well, <laughs> well, you can if you haven't heard, you can log on to brotherscomics.com and there you <laughs> go. Um, I think there's a lot of times there's a tendency to think that all struggles are the same, and that it's okay, like. You know, it's okay if, if you know, to, to bring up the Indian struggle and the Jewish struggle and the black struggle. And I think they're not all the same. And so when you're dealing with these issues, I don't think it's inherently okay to take these things on if you don't have a voice. And I think, you know, they, they, they tread on the Native American struggle here probably in a way that maybe Chris Claremont isn't necessarily qualified to do. And then they go, you know, the redneck shoots him down. It's just, uh, it's. I think it was a bad choice. I think it was yeah very heavy-handed, and I think it was sort of a bad choice. Well, and also the design of said Native oh, yeah, Americans yeah, yeah, yeah. as well yeah. is just... I, I don't understand... I, I just don't understand why the heavy-handedness is one thing, and two... It didn't really even have to happen. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you just could you could have made this whole point that you were trying to make without that scene at all. Yeah. You know, you made them. It just makes no sense. And I was just like, man, come on, dude. Like, what are y'all doing? Just, this makes no sense. And I just, I, I mean, I was bothered by it only in the sense that it was like, man, 
Yeah, you know, like you don't even like get shocked by it anymore. Other than the fact that when you see it with a different set of eyes, it's like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. My phone's gonna be bugging with this all these texts that are coming through from these other people. By the way, uh, for yeah, the podcast, too. yes, I know. All right, so yeah, I think was, they, there there is you know spoiler alert. That part of this is one of these kids is not like the other ones in terms of these mm. cowboys, um, and that's part of the story. But it. It's bad. I, I, it's a bad inclusion. And I understand yeah. that, you know, we're talking about Forge and A's here, and this is subject, but it, it's, I think it's inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, and again, and then and they're trying to tie it together, you know, with the, you know, the idea of the R shaman, the Forge. Yeah. You know, is, I mean, I understand, I understand the plot point of it, but you also get into, you know, when you have people that aren't Native American writing about Native Americans and probably not understand anything about Native Americans other than what they read in a U.S. history book, it's probably going to be a skewed view of what you're going to put out and put in. And so this is why you get, you know, shamans and mysticism and all this kind of stuff where, you know, most Native American people ain't about that life. So, um, yeah, it, it may, it's just forcing the stereotype. It probably wasn't necessary. And then you do, again, you have like the freaking redneck dude shoot them down. Uh, it's probably not a good symbolic look for this whole thing. Um, but yeah, so uh, the book goes on. Essentially, the the decision has been made that uh, we're gonna have to, you know, well, Roma gets revealed as the being part behind this plot or whatever. But the plot has been revealed that you know what, we're gonna have to go and um, you know, kind of fight our way through this whole thing as there's been more time shifts. I think they're in Vietnam near the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, yeah, really but that's actually, they, they, that's actually the sequence where they get back into Forge's story. And that's not clear whether that's a time shift or more of his holograms inside the Four Freedoms Tower. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not crazy then. Like, I'm like, is this real or yeah. is this Memorex? You know, Google it. And it's just... Yeah, I mean, the books are kind of confusing. And I was like, I'm yeah. trying to like figure out, your Buddha, Buddha, Buddha does make an appearance, by the way. Uh, Butter, Butter does make yeah. an appearance. And <laughs> <laughs> again, the decision has been made that if we're going to go, we're going to sacrifice ourselves and go in here and, and solve this problem. And, you know, Wolverine does give his Morpheus speech at near the end of the book that says, Okay, same deal when when we came to Dallas. This is a volunteer caper, pure and simple. Anyone can back out. No guilt, no shame. You know, and Havoc is like, I speak for the team, boss. You know, we're all good. And then when he tries to say Dazzler can't go and Madeline Pryor can't go, you know, Dazzler starts, you know, popping off sound-wise or whatever because she can't see. And, you know, like, oh, we signed up for this. You can't keep me out. You know, like everybody's all in this together. And, you know, they head inside the Forge Plaza. And, you know, that's that. Now, again, we spent a whole lot of time on uh, some of these issues that are really setting up. But basically, the whole point of issue 226 is Storm getting her powers back, finally. Mm -hmm. You know, again, something that's been set up for many issues where she's been without them. Um, And, you know, for there's a complicated science thing. He's like, well, I didn't really take your powers away. The RNA of your was like, wait. (laughs) The other funny thing is like, He's got this skinny leg and his cyborg leg. He's harvested all the parts for it to make this gun. So he's like a skinny robot leg now. That was kind of fun to me too. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're our you're the you're our resident scientist, uh, brother Beavis. Um, you want to explain the sciences of RNA? Well, um, yeah. So actually, I just heard something about this on the radio today because it was a, a disease related to it. But RNA is where the cells that generates the energy for your cells, and so mm-hmm. clearly, her RNA is tuned into the electromagnetic field of the, all uh, worlds, and that gives her the power to tap into blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love the part of like call that power back, baby. Call it back. <laughs> yeah, I like that part. Um, and then you know, and then Storm finally gets her powers back. Uh, it, it, it's a happy scene, um, but it's also part of the plot too. You know, because I, I think you know, Nays has orchestrated this as a part of his plot. If I'm reading in between the lines correctly, is that this well? Is so what he, he wanted has, to happen? he he so he's he's giving them a choice, and so Forge has not only created this uh, uh, this unneutralizer to give her powers back, but then they're planning on using her return powers to open up some portal so they can go back to the real world. And so once they do that, then Nays is you know they they gave up on the chance to like sort of invest this new world, and now it's a new game for him. So. That's when he goes to stage two, a.k.a. Skaboom, and on to the next episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it's, <laughs> yeah, and the next episode is the, uh, the belly of the beast. You know, as much as they took her powers away from her and, allow, you know, and kind of built her up as a character without them, you know, they gave the powers back to her, even though they built up to this moment for a long time. It was just like, yeah, you know, not a whole issue dedicated to it. You know, I remembered that differently as I was, you know, as, as a younger reader. I was like, oh, I think I remember a whole episode, you know, a whole issue mm-hmm. where they dedicated that. And I was like, no, this was like, you know, two pages. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, even though they built up to that over time. The actual her getting the powers back is actually just two pages, and I was like, oh, okay. And even when she gets her powers back, when we move into two twenty-seven, um, it's really not about her. Yeah, um, you know, it's about Longshot, and <laughs> you're gonna have to help me. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to help me here with the science on this too. That um, was like that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in a comic book. Yeah. When they're when they turn Longshot into a kite, yeah, that's just... <laughs> his bones are hollow, man. His bones are hollow, and he's lucky. So just string a rope to him and throw him into the clouds. What? Um, I'm sorry. What? Um, what? what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a because comics moment. Yeah, and then we may not spend as much uh, time here on 227. Um, uh, but my, because of that, but then I want to go over and dip into X Factor because um, this is going on simultaneously. Uh, now again, this is the age of the sort of crossover book. Like, okay, these things are happening mm-hmm. in this issue of X Men, but it'll refer you to like, oh, we'll check out over in X Factor number this or number that. But the stories aren't uh, completely tied together. Or if you don't read this one, you don't know what's going on as you know as a feature of later crossover events. Um, but 227 is basically this whole final battle of Forge's soul playing out. Um, uh, to, to recap, and again, like I said, this book is as weird as, much weirder than the first two. To recap, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, 
Um, Forge, when he was in Vietnam, uh, cast a spell that wound up having to steal the souls of, like, nine of his, um, uh, like, other soldiers to fight off a demon that had come to claim whatever. Is that fair to say? No, I think what mm-hmm. happened was they were being held down by enemy fire, and then he's he's conjured the demon so that they would not get killed. But mm-hmm. all his boys died, and he survived. I think that's mm-hmm. what it was. So he he opened up he by drawing upon his his mystical powers, he opened up the rift that exposed the world to the adversary, um, mm-hmm. and then with the the uh, when the dire race attacked Nays, he also drawed upon his drawed upon mystic powers that, that then the adversary then came back into the physical physical world and inhabited his body. That I think is what happened. See, two people read the same thing and got completely different interpretations <laughs> of it. I mean, because I like I said, I know I read and I'm like, oh, this is so confusing. Um, Madeline, let's get back to Madeline Pryor. Now, Madeline's been with the team through this whole thing since she got rescued in San Francisco. Um, but she doesn't really have a whole lot to do. Uh, she does a yeah. lot more standing around um, than anything else. And there's also the fact that even though this is being filmed for the world, when she does get a chance to talk about, you know, her, why is she doing this? Uh, her explanation isn't that great, but she does come back to the fact that, you know, hey, Scott, you know, take care of yourself. I love you. Take care of our baby or whatever. Now, Cyclops is not probably watching. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's probably not watching, probably not recording it on his VCR, Google it. And he's just, yeah, it, it just doesn't go out. And it, it's, and it's a, there's a weird, like, kind of scene here drawn where they are talking and she's all booed up next to Havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like nearly like she's leaning on him like for support and we talked about in the last podcast like in modern comics there's no way that he's not smashing <laughs> now there's no way and it was probably a subplot that they talked about this in, uh, in numerous occasions but uh, this version of Havoc actually every version of Havoc he's probably more honorable than Scott right what did yeah, you say yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we, I think we, we glossed over a panel, but there, I think in the previous issue, there's an there's a scene where Colossus is like standing next next to Madeline Pryor, and he's like, she's a, somebody's like, why are you here? And he's like, because you stay close to the people you love. And I'm like, uh, awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Don't not all X Men believe that, but okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Don't do it, Colossus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, again, we're getting into this, um, to the Scooby-Doo plot of them trying to get off of this uh, yeah. planet or whatever and, here. And his, he's got a, you know, he's got his force factor vulnerability to metal. And they call mm-hmm. back to like uh, Colossus. <laughs> well, Colossus is metal. He, he, let's, we threw him at Proteus in that one, so let's throw yeah. him at, at the adversary too. Yeah, yeah. Vulnerability and, to and, metal is not a good trait for X-Men villains. Yeah, yeah, and then. And then, too, you know, he hadn't been able to transform himself back into oh, yeah. human form. But, you know what, now I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, even though he's under the enormous amounts of stress, I would imagine, in this situation. But now he's able to do it. And 
I, I was reading this like this is terrible. Yeah, and I feel he, like when he, the plot is we're going to fly on the long shot kite, I don't understand why <laughs> having Colossus <laughs> attached to the long shot kite would be a you know that would that would break the whole plan. Like yeah. I feel like they could just as easily written around that. And and why are his bones hollow? Oh, it's just because the same reason he has three fingers. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Someday I'll get through that limited series and see if I can explain that. But for now, he's just he's just a stand-in for Nightcrawler without the first aid skills. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of Nightcrawler, he's going to make a return Mm -hmm. here. Um, but before he does that, make his return, and Kitty, um, the X-Men are going to make this sacrifice again. Um, going back to the story, uh, to make things right for the the portal that he opened, he's going to uh, forge and he's to sacrifice nine more lives, essentially, and the X-Men are going to feel that plot. <clears throat> Excuse me. The X-Men are going to feel that plot, and, you know, again, this is one of those, well, you know, we... Hey, nobody's gonna miss us or whatever, and they're gonna fill that hole, and they sacrifice themselves, um, and that ends the ends that arc for Forge, and it also you know closes that spell or whatever, literally neatly in a spell book. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, and that's the end. Of course, it is not the end because the X Men don't necessarily die; they just wind up transporting themselves into another dimension where Roma has saved them from actually killing themselves. Um, would that be fair? Tell me I got that part right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she says, like, you know, he can't, you know, just, it's this sort of like you can't have life without death thing. You need chaos, you need order. So you can't lock him away forever. So you can only lock him away for an age, and as a result, you don't have to give up your lives. So that's mm. that's sort of the thing. No, it's good for them, right? Well, yeah. um, the um the as a part of that because this was being streamed all live on TV, everybody got a chance to see it, and one of those people that also had a chance to see it in um on Muir Island is the other people that were recovering from the battle with the from the uh, mutant massacre, Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler. <clears throat> Nightcrawler, who had been in a coma or whatnot for a few issues now, he had been completely mm-hmm. taken out. He is now on the mend. Kitty is back on the mend as well. They're just staying here. This is right before they're going to start Excalibur because they think that the X-Men are gone um, because they thought they saw them die and sacrifice themselves on TV. So they're going to wind up starting X-Factor here um, right after this book. Um, We all know that the X-Men aren't dead. They got transported and they will wind up in Australia when we start to the next issue or whatever. But uh, Kitty comes back, and she's all upset, obviously, because she thinks that the X-Men are all dead. Um, and that's pretty much the end of that as well. Um, and, you know, it's – I mean, that's pretty much 227, really. Uh, you know, it, it again, like, I'm kind of shitting on this part of the uh, – this version of it. But the first two issues were pretty solid. You know, the last part of it, again, it's kind of anticlimactic. But it also sets up, you know, the books for them. Like I said, when they get to Australia, that, to me, those books are infinitely better than the books that came before. And I'm, what do you think? Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's sort of uh, a lot of times in comic books, the story is in the suspense and the build-up and the payoff is not that great. So once yeah. we get to the – they're giving us the exposition that we missed out and some flash and bang to finish the story and then they sort of wrap it up. 
yeah, it's, you know, it sort of comes to a close. But yeah, this is you know this, this has solidified the team. All these people that were sort of marginal members of the X Men have now proven themselves, and and off we go into sort of the next. You know, we had the originals, we had the uh, the giant size X Men team, and and this is really the start of a new era. Right. Yeah. Um, as a part of that going on, like I said, at the same time is going to be um, X Factor. Now, X Factor at the time, remember, it's the it's X Men Blue because all things old are all things new. Um, it is X Men Blue, and the X Men original X Men team is um, uh, they're they're listed as like kind of mutant hunters, but if people think that they're regular humans hunting out mutants, but they're really like gathering mutants and trying to protect them. They wind up getting betrayed by it was it Cameron Hodge? Cameron Hodge, and, yeah, yeah. Cameron Hodge betrays them, and Angel winds up paying a huge sacrifice for that, and winds up getting his wings cut off. Um, and it goes into a deep, dark funk and depression or whatnot. And um, he winds up being uh, accosted by Apocalypse, and we wind up getting Archangel. And I I summarized pretty much like issues twenty to twenty four for this. Yeah. And then we wind up getting um, Archangel appearing in uh, uh, X-Factor, I believe it's 25. And um, now the character of Archangel is a great character. I mean, they finally made Angel cool. You know, we've run Angel down fairly much on this podcast. There hasn't been too many moments where we're like, oh, you know what? Angel did something cool there. You know, he killed himself in 137, rushing into space. Uh, he was wearing a baby's <laughs> diaper and got married to Callisto. I mean, we we run we run down pretty bad. Um, there's been nothing good that Angel has done. Um, so now he actually is a, a a character that actually comes well. Now the the story of this takes place on Apocalypse. This isn't Apocalypse's first appearance. This is um, like I think he was in maybe X Factor eight or nine. Yeah, but he uh, they wind up on his ship. And again, if you have seen the X Men the animated series, um, you, most of these versions of some versions of this plot are taken out of there. They wind up on the ship, um, and then they wind up fighting against the uh, the Horsemen of Apocalypse. Uh, they uh, Apocalypse wants the wants X Factor to join him to go cull out the humans. They, they won't do it. We get the you know the standard comic book fight. And then, you know, just when the X-Men think that they got everybody on the ropes, that's when Archangel comes out like Hulk Hogan, NWO style, <laughs> and, and lays face to what him. No, uh, oh, my God, no. Go. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. Exactly. <laughs> that's great. Um, and, yeah, and, and that's it. And then they wind up going, you know, the four horsemen wind up going into, of the apocalypse. Um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse wind up going into to Manhattan and just kind of laying waste to the city. And X-Factor follows behind them, you know, and you have your standard comic book fight in the city. I mean, that's basically it. You know, what's your thought on that version of X-Factor up to this point? And then we'll get to Archangel. Yeah, so it's a... Uh... I think I said this last time, like you could definitely make a WB show about the X factor because it was like Cyclops in his feels about abandoning his family and, and Jean Grey coming to, fact with, coming to grips with the fact that he's, he's you know married to somebody else and Angel deciding whether or not it's time for him to move on in Jean Grey. 
I think at the time, like Iceman can't control his powers because of a trip to um, uh, Valhalla or some shit like that, and Beast is not even blue. They're rolling around with Caliban at the time. Uh, so they are not a strong team, and they all have problems. Um, and in the midst of that, they lose their mainstay, Angel, their, their, you know, their tank, their firepower. Not really. Um, but, you know, it's and what they find is that Cameron Hodge, who had, who had been Angel's PR guy, had set them up for this mutant hunting thing, and it was really just sort of a trick to discredit them all. They're coming to terms with that. And so this is after Fall of the Mutants is where X-Factor sort of gets out of that mode and starts to be sort of an actual team and get things under control and start to move forward. But it's a lot of hurt feelings up to that point. Yeah, I was, uh, at that point, Beast is um, Beast is dumb uh, or getting dumb. Like he's getting stronger but dumber. Um, and I can't remember what the impetus for that was. He gets um, hit by something. It's not by plague, but it's somebody like that infects him with yeah, something. Yeah, and so then yeah, it was one yeah. of the horsemen. Yeah. Um, so he gets so more. Then, yeah. The more he uses physical strength, the more it drains his his brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're 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 struggling big time, and Archangel finally, like I said, he does come in. You know, and again, it's a redeemed character that. You know, even over time or whatever, they've. I mean, he was actually. I mean, even after he's able to break free of the hold of Apocalypse or whatever, he's actually a character that you know later on becomes you know somewhat at least usable. You know, uh, as you start to get into, um, like the the was that Legion Quest or whatever. Yep. I mean, he has a role in that as well. Uh, you know, as you know, his his relationship with uh, Ninja Bessie Braddock. Um, is, uh, you know, a, a story that goes through there, you know, in the current continuity, he's come back from, you know, the past with X-Men Blue, he's got fire wings, and I think we hadn't really determined why he has fire wings. Um, <laughs> the uh, problem they have with him at this point is, is much like the problem they have with Wolverine. He has lethal powers, right? He has razor sharp yeah. wings and he throws knives at people. Well, you can only do so much of that in a comic book where you're not ready to sort of go against the comic book code authority at this point. Well, and I also think that when you look at the character, if they put it in the movies or whatever, you know, you had in X-Men 3, you had the character mm-hmm. who, you know, was looking for the cure, um, mm-hmm. or his dad was looking for the cure or whatever, and so you had that version, but it really didn't do anything other than spread his wings that one time, just, you know, it was, you know, cheap heat. Yeah. You're like, oh... <laughs> And, um, but the character didn't really do anything. And then when you get to Apocalypse, the X-Men Apocalypse movie, um, he's kind of a sorry character there too. And he does get the, yeah, in a bad movie. And then he gets the conversion, you know, where he gets imbued with, you know, the Archangel powers or whatever. They still killed a character that can fly in an airplane crash. So, (laughs) whatever. I mean, was like, couldn't he just fly out of that? <laughs> apparently not. Uh, so, whatever. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, Fall of the Mutants, not a terrible, not a terrible little run. Um, the title's probably a little bit misleading um, because it's really not the fall of them as much as it is the displacement of the mutants. Mm-hmm. But, you know, displacement of the mutants probably doesn't sell a lot of T-shirts. Um, so, <laughs> 
as we move forward. It's like the it's the the mutant second wind. I think is really yeah exactly. When you left the out, so this runs through uh, New Mutants as well. Your favorite title. It does. The only the I only thing that. I know about it is is Doug Cipher or Doug uh, Ramsey gets killed in the. Is this where he story. died? Okay, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Good. Nobody cares about Doug Ramsey. And again, still not too late, Fox. Don't make that movie. Just <laughs> save all your money. Donate it to Bros Comics. We'll give you our PayPal. So, um, yeah, uh, that, I mean, that's it. So, I mean, like I said, as we start to move forward, as I start looking at issues here, you know, to to kind of pick up a sto- the story arc from where we go, is there anything that you see or you can think of that you're like, oh, you know what, that's probably the next logical step? I don't think we can jump to 250 that quick. I think there's a couple of smaller stories in between there that make more sense. Yeah, I gotta take a look at it. Inferno is the next crossover, right? But that's right. 250 yeah, we're gonna, or two yeah, yeah, we're gonna get to our Goblin Queen here. Um, and you know, and it, from even from doing these podcasts, it'll be a good resolution for Madeline Pryor to be done, mm-hmm. to us to be done with her, and for her to be done herself. Um, because again, it seemed like such a a good idea probably at the time when they did it, but much like the clone saga, yeah, we probably shouldn't have did that. Yeah, um, Madeline Pryor is, is the X-Men's uh, clone saga. Yeah. It, 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 well, and shit, man, freaking Jean Grey is mm-hmm. the X-Men's clone saga. Yeah. You know, as much as we love her, they exist to kill her, and if they don't kill her, they they just can't figure themselves out what they're going to do with her. And it's, I've been reading that Jean Grey book too. I think it's on issue three or whatever. I don't, I don't know if you, did I write the review or did I think about writing it? If I did write the review, um, there is an, their episode or issue one, she actually beats up the wrecking crew. I was like, the wrecking crew <laughs> gets a break, man. Can't catch a break. And Thunderball gets dialogue in it, too. And he still gets beat up, though. But whatever. So I'm looking, and there's a brood story coming up. And then we get to Genosha. And there's a great yeah. arc with Rogue and Wolverine. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably the two things before we get to Goblin Queen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to kind of figure that out, how much we want to recap and how much we want to do. But, okay. All right, so that wraps up Thursday Night Comic Book Chat um, for Brothers Comics. Um, We did talk about this on something else that we recorded earlier today. We won't say what it was. Um, That uh, from upcoming Brothers Comics business, I have uh, Fort Lauderdale Comic Con at the end of the month. Um, For me, the comic book portion of it really isn't that important. Uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair is going to be there, so I got to go ahead and make that. Woo! I got to go make that happen. And in the sense of that being said and all of that, um, you know, RIP to uh, Joni Lee, Stan Lee's wife passed away today. Um, and I think they were married almost 70 years, something like that. Um, and you're thinking, oh, why, why is that important or whatever in, in terms of comic book conventions? Well, one, I just was at a comic book convention where Stan Lee was, and I didn't bother going through the necessary time, hassle, and money that it would have taken to get over there. I'm kind of maybe that that was probably a mistake. But on top of that too, um, I don't think I'm ever gonna get into a situation where Ric Flair is going to be close enough to me like that. 
So I need to go ahead and make that happen. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what I'm saying. There's not going to be a situation where I'm going to be in the same building room with Ric Flair and not, you know, be like, hey, you know, champ, can I get a picture? So that that's got to happen. So, uh, so yeah, there's that. That's in the end of this month in July, um, and then we pull. We got Dragon Con coming up at the end of August. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll be there, but probably Big Hush and Seema Perspective will be there. And then we got uh, just something that happened this week. Brother Beaver's going to cover Baltimore Comic Con for us in September. I want to say the 20th or 21st, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, Baltimore Comic Con got a, a great. Uh, lineup of comic book artists. I mean, this is more of a comic book convention. You don't see a lot of like, you know, uh, like stars or celebrities or whatever for this thing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, looking forward to that, Brother Beavis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been aware of that for a while, but I didn't realize it was on, it was that big of a scale. Yeah. I was just looking at the roster and it looks pretty significant. Yeah, I was with us too. I was like, hey, man, that's a pretty good group of people there. And he is press covering it, so he does get opportunity to, you know, to harass people for autographs and pictures and whatnot. So, yeah, it'll be a good time. Uh, and then I think in October, the Sandman and I will be at the Tampa Bay MegaCon again, uh, which we covered last year. So, uh, got a few cons coming up as we get into that portion of the fall season. Um, Glad you'll be able to find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with your friends. Um, I think there's other podcasts up. Uh, you'll be able to get the Game of Thrones Season 1 recap that Brother Beavis and I recorded. Uh, that should be up um, very shortly if it's not there already. Um, you'll be able to catch the Unmasked Mr. Robot podcast um, with the ladies. Um, that is under the Brothers Comics umbrella as well. Uh, Podcast 66 for Brothers Comics is coming up. There's a lot of things coming down the pipe if we can get everybody together. It's been a hard time getting everybody together, and it isn't just Spider-Man that's taking us out. So, uh, yeah, so it's been one of those things. Okay. All right. I think that's about it then. All right, Brother Beavis, my favorite mutant man. We're saying, man, (laughs) we're sorry, man, but you you, you sold us out for a (laughs) non-mutant. You could have seen Spider-Man tomorrow, uh, Sam, man. And, <laughs> but knowing you, you will probably be seeing it tomorrow as well yeah. anyway. He, you can't get three views in if you don't start early. So Yeah, exactly, Sam, man. Uh, you still are on the payroll for DC for seeing Batman vs. Superman three times. It's just, <laughs> it's just no getting over that, sir. I'm sorry. I, I We all have our Mysterio crosses to bear. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, as we wrap up, as uh, X-Men, the animated music, takes us out, I am the producer of this podcast. I am signing out. Go ahead and sign out for the Beaver. I'll catch you next time. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out.